welcome the spirits. I have absolute trust in the strength of my story. I have absolute trust in the strength of my voice. My name is Betty Rooted Lionheart, and this podcast is called Dear Medicine, A Shamanic Healer's Journey of Self-Love for Earth Healing. So today what I'm wanting to talk about is the birth of the Wailing Circle that is coming into being here at Braided Rootwaters Healing Sanctuary. We're having the next iteration of it um, this coming weekend, actually, Saturday, October 14th. I'm really excited about it, and so I wanted to talk about how that came about. Um, initially, uh, it came up for me with the death of my mother, so I'm going to talk about that. Um, and talking about my mother's death requires going a little further back and talking about um, some ancestral healing work that is ongoing in my life and a particular ancestor spirit guide who I met. In January of 2022, during my training to become a minister, and I took that training with my teacher, Becky Shining Bearheart. And one of, one of the fears that I have had in putting myself out into the world as a healer and then also as a minister has been the fear of the witch hunt. Um, what I do communicating with spirit guides, doing um, energetic healing work, can by some be considered um, to be the kind of thing that um, healers, and in particular women, were killed for uh, back in the day in Europe and in America. And... Um, I have had fear about that because we are in in this country and um, in the world at large, I would say, going back into times of hatred, hate crimes. Um, And it has caused me fear to put myself out into the world as a healer, as a minister, um, for that reason. And so that came up during this ministerial training. I expressed that to my teacher and she did journey work for me in which she was shown that there is another ancestral spirit guide who I had yet to meet that I needed to meet and that this spirit guide was from Central Europe from the Neolithic time frame, and was a powerful shaman and a powerful protector and had a lot of warrior skills and that this spirit guide would be coming into my life for protection and the courage to face these particular fears. Um, And that this person, when they were alive a long time ago, had a lot of courage and lived through some very hard times and was able to survive and help their community. 
So with that prompting, I started doing my own journey work. And what I'm going to share with you right now is information that I received over the course of three journeys, but in order to um, be a bit more succinct, I'm going to share it as though it was all one journey, and I'm only sharing the parts that are most relevant to the thread of the story that I'm trying to tell right now. So I went into the, the three separate journeys um, with the intention to meet the spirit of the land and the totemic ally of that Neolithic ancestor, and then to meet the ancestor herself and to ask the ancestor about healing ancestral trauma. So I grounded, centered, and shielded, and I went up my hill and red-tailed hawk and owl lifted me and flew me up to the moon and they dropped me in a heap by the fire on the moon. Um, I stayed heaped in prostration, sending my bows to the five directions without moving. I called all of my spirit guides to come be with me. And they did, and they erected a sweat lodge of leathers over me and the earth keepers Grandmother Moon, Grandfather Sun, Mother Earth, and Father Sky, they came within to be with me. Three hot stones were put in to the lodge with me, and I went inwards. And the three stones that I was crouching in front of became my heart, the fire at my core, and then that became the sun, which then became the Great Mother or Creator. And I traveled through Great Mother and she then put me down on the land in the steps at the grave of this ancestor and the ancestor's horse. They had been buried together. And I learned that the horse and the grasses that the horse ate are the ancestors' totemic allies. And I learned that the domestication of animals that could carry people and large loads totally transformed human life. And therefore the horse and the grasses that sustained it were preeminent, of preeminent importance in the lives of these people at that time. Um, I then got into the grave with the bones of the ancestor and the horse. And then I became bones myself, and our bones turned into earth, and my bones mixed with the bones of my ancestor and the horse, and the DNA was mixing. And in that decomposed state, I listened to try to know what the spirit of the land of this ancestor is. Um, and I should explain that this process is my teacher's process for meeting ancestral spirit guides. You first meet the spirit of the land and the totemic ally and then the ancestor. Um, so I came to know 
that these early people understood the land, the earth, their lives and cosmology in a deep way that modern humans cannot even begin to fathom. It was like a perfect understanding. And I don't really know how to explain it more than that. Um, and I learned that the spirit of the land was called first mother or mother before all else. And then the ancestor and myself and the horse were refleshed or back in intact spirit bodies. And the ancestor showed me her regalia, her leathers, which were painted red with red ochre and possibly also with blood. Um, and I came to know that it was a lot of work to do that. And um, it's also how I learned that this ancestor is female because this red color, I was told, is the color of the women's mysteries of life and of blood and that brown is also the women's color because blood dries brown and earth, soil, is brown. I also learned that these people knew, even at this time, that sexual union is what created children. And of course they knew, for it was a part of that perfect understanding of how their environment functioned and what their role within it was. And then I learned that this ancestor was childless by choice and that she was a lover of other women, and that that was natural and accepted at that time. And she was such a powerful shaman because of being childless, because her time was her own and in service to her people, and not divided by the raising of children. And she assured me that yes, there were other very good female healers who were also mothers. Um, and then she spoke to me of my need to make peace with being a mother, to make peace with being a healer within the bounds that mothering places upon my time. And um, if you've listened to other episodes of my podcast, you'll realize that this is, this is a theme in my life, this um, struggle with um, having made the choice to become a mother. I asked the ancestor her name, and her name is Windhorse Woman, and her horse's name is Windhorse. I asked how to heal ancestral trauma, and I shared that I know very little of my ancestors. I know only myself, my mother, my mother's mother, and my mother's father on that side. And then on my father's side, I know my father, I know his father, and I know his mother and her mother, my great-grandmother. And that, that's it. That's all I know of my, my ancestry. Um, or I should say, these are the people who I have met in this life. Um, but still, I know, I know very little um, going further back. I have never studied ancestry. Um, and that there's plenty of trauma just within the lives of these few people. And so 
I was feeling um, very hard-pressed to even begin to imagine the amounts of trauma that exist between myself and all the people um, between me and Windhorse Woman. So Windhorse Woman gave me a ritual which um, will likely take a long time. It um, is not yet complete and this is um, not quite two years since I've been given this ritual um, work to do. What she showed me is to braid strips of red cloth and that each of the three strips represents the three people that immediately exist in one person. So there's the person and there's their mother and their father. Those people um, all exist physically in the DNA of, of that one person. Um, and that, so each braid that I make, each, you know, one, two, three of moving the strips of cloth represents one person. And, um, while I braid, I am meant to be very focused and thoughtful and in a three count way, as I move the strips, say, may you be healed. I pray for your healing. And so that would generate two braids, which represent two people. And at each 10 braids or 10 people put in a crosswise black cloth to mark that I've done 10. And that at 100, put in a longer cloth to mark 100. And that's how I keep count. Because each strand of braids is meant to represent a thousand people, the most traumatized thousand people in my mother's line for one braid, and then another separate strand of a thousand for my father's line. And to fully complete the healing, I need to make 10 of these for each line, my mother's line and my father's line. So to do this a very mindful, healing practice for 10,000 people per parent. Um, and at this juncture, I have completed five of these strands of a thousand braids, and I'm working on a sixth. Um, and I need to make 20 total. And the color that is being used is red, again, because that is... Um, the, the sacred color of blood, blood lineage, and the, the color of the women's mysteries. Um, and I was given to understand that there would be some healing felt by my siblings and by each parent as I completed each of these strands of a thousand braids. When these journeys were complete, I gave thanks to Windhorse Woman and Windhorse, and I went back the way that I came through Great Mother and the Sun and into the lodge with the hot stones on the moon, and then I gave thanks to my circle of spirit guides there, and I went back down into myself. 
So shortly after being given this task, I set to it, and that involved doing some thrift store shopping for um, secondhand red cotton t-shirts that I could cut into the strips and for black shirts as well for the markers. And, um, and I set to work and I decided to work on a braid for my dad first, for his lineage. And I decided to do that because the bulk of my... Um, the bulk of the healing work I had done to that point, um, having to do with my earlier childhood and with my parents was all very focused on, on my mom. I had done quite a lot of, of healing of, of mommy issues, but I had done very, very little, um, work on my dad issues. And so I set to work on a braid for his lineage and I was really excited when I completed it, and um, it's fun, and once once you get braiding, it can go quite quickly. The thing that actually took more time was the cutting up <laughs> of the shirts, um, and then I got to work on a braid for my mom. I had decided I would sort of do one-one and work it that way. So while I was in process on the ancestral braid for my mom um, my mom had a stroke on Friday May 13th of 2022 and um, so when I learned that I did a journey to see if I could help she'd had a stroke she was still alive um, and there was the possibility of, of recovery. And um, so I journeyed to see if I could help. And I grounded, centered, and shielded. And I um, went to her hospital room. And I'm not reading these notes. This is more in my mind, but some details in terms of which spirit guides were with me. Uh, I don't have immediately in my mind. Um, but I went to her hospital room and I became Black Bear, which I do sometimes when the healing work to be done is physical healing work. So I stood behind her hospital bed and I put my bear paws on her head to see if I could help heal her brain. And she immediately said, take your hands off my head and stand back. And so I did. Of course I did. Um, it was a little bit um, unexpected. Um, but it was also very, very clear it was very clear that um, she did not want physical healing work done on her, sh on her head, on her body, on her being. She said that I could be there and I can offer love and support, but that we were not going to fix this. Um, and so I stayed in that journey for a time, just, you know, giving her love and support um, 
But the importance of this journey has been immense in my own life because I knew that she was ready to die. I knew that she um, well, I had known for quite a long time actually that one of my mom's fears, one of her greatest fears I would say, was um, having something like Alzheimer's and not knowing her loved ones and becoming a burden or having something like a stroke and losing her physical ability but remaining alive and being a burden. Um, but not just being a burden. My mom was very much um, a go, 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 do, do, do person in her life. And, and I take after her in that. Um, she would have hated being alive and not being able to go, go, and do, do. She was 76, and she had aged, of course. She had slowed down a lot. Um, but she was still go going and do doing and right up, right up until the stroke. Um, and so I know that she was happy with the death that she had and she was happy to have escaped surviving a stroke in, in the state that she would have been in. She would have been half paralyzed in all likelihood. So that was on a Friday and um, I didn't, I specifically didn't rush to go to Florida because I didn't want her to feel like she needed to wait for me um, because I knew that she was ready to die. And, but she didn't die. Um, so I did fly to Florida on Tuesday. Um, my brother picked me up at the Tallahassee airport and took me straight to the really beautiful, amazing hospice facility that she was at at that point. Um, she had had on Saturday morning, so the day after the first stroke, she had a second stroke, um, which she could not recover from. And so at that point, my dad made the decision to take her off of life support and um, she was moved to hospice shortly thereafter. And um, the only thing that she had was um, air, not forced air, but just a tube of air um, clipped right at the bottom of her nose to give oxygen more directly, um, but nothing, nothing else keeping her alive. Um, and so I arrived on Tuesday and I was able to spend the last two days of her life with her. They had um, a pull-out um, couch, loveseat kind of thing in the room there, so I was able to actually sleep in the room with her. Um, there was even a shower in the bathroom um, that I eventually did take a shower in. Um, and while I was there, um, I continued to work on this ancestral braid. Um, 
and I actually had a a favorite a long sleeve cotton shirt that was a um, a very orangey a, a reddish orange I would say and I decided to cut that shirt up and add it to this braid so that I could always tell which braid I had been working on while my mom was dying. And I'm really, really glad that I did that. Um, my mom was well known and loved in the community. She had started a small private school in 1988 um, that was still ongoing. And um, many, many young people, um, she was the principal, had you know moved through that school and um, the parents of those young people, teachers. Um, so there was a fairly steady stream of people that were coming to visit her. And I feel really grateful that this was 2022 and it was also Florida, which had never been as, um, I guess, mask, COVID masking and whatever oriented but I was really grateful that the situation situation wasn't such that I couldn't actually be with my mother or that people couldn't come um, see her uh, but there were also times when I would have rather there weren't other people moving steadily through and um, times that I needed to get out of the room uh, and I would spend those times out in um, the facility had a lovely garden. So I would go out there and I would work on the braid out there as well. Um, and I also did some more journey work out in that garden. Um, I was trying to do healing work for my mom, things like soul retrievals and just trying to help move move her healing along so that she might be able to let go of her physical body faster. And I had also been given a death song um, to sing, not, um, not because my mother was dying, but um, probably sometime in the year before she died. And um, so I would sing that song at her bedside. And at a certain point, I realized, and I'm really grateful for this, um, I realized that this process, her dying process, wasn't about me. It wasn't about what I could do as a healer to help speed things up or make it, you know, any shorter or less painful or, or any of that. This was her process, and I was... Um, really blessed, really grateful, and really honored to be um, walking alongside her in that process. Um, walking with death, death walking is the, the word that I've been given for um, sitting with people in their dying and for helping those who have a dying loved one or have lost someone that they loved. And my role, um, I did have an active role in that for my immediate family, my sister, my brother, and my dad. 
um, I was, I think, very helpful, um, a grounding force for them because the three of them, they were actually quite, um, quite shocked that this had happened. Um, and I wasn't, I had been expecting something to happen to one of my parents, probably for the last 10 years or so. But I also know that um, given the healing and spiritual journey that I'm on, my relationship with death is a healthier one than, um, than I'm gonna say um, is sort of the norm in this country and in this culture. Um, it seems to me that we, in this country and culture, tend to, to ignore death, tend to pretend it doesn't happen. We don't have very meaningful rituals around death, um, rituals that would catch and support and help heal those left behind. Um, and my relationship with death is, um, I understand that death is part of our process and I understand that we don't treat it as such and that we would benefit from making changes in how we relate to death, how we understand death, how we prepare for death, how we walk with death, and how we care for the people left behind and how we um, ritualize death and dying and burial or cremation or the ways in which we deal with bodies. Um, so my mom, um, I was with her on Thursday, um, which is, you know, seven, seven days later. The initial stroke was on the Friday before when her breathing changed so substantially that I knew that she was taking her last breaths. Um, as I had sat with her for the previous two days, her breathing had been labored, but within that had been fairly normal. There were moments where I was kind of like, oh, you know, is that, is that different? Is that it? Is that something? Um, but when her breathing actually changed to those last few dying breaths, it was so very obvious. It, it wasn't a question anymore. And I um, immediately texted both of my siblings. Um, fortunately, my sister was in the parking lot of the facility. Uh, my brother was too far away to get there before she died. And actually, my father had been sitting by her bedside the whole time, um, though he did go home to sleep at night. Um, had been sitting there, and just a few minutes before her breathing changed, he decided to um, get up and go to uh, the funeral parlor, which is right next door. And, um, and he even said, you know, maybe she needs me to leave in order for her to let go. So maybe she did. And 
Um, so my sister and I were there for my mom's last breath, and it was it was beautiful and amazing, and I'm really grateful to have been there. Um, really grateful to have been there for that. Um, so in the days that came afterwards, we uh, were preparing for um, her, she chose cremation, um, and she was very Roman Catholic, so um, a Catholic memorial mass um, with her ashes up on the altar, that is what that's what she needed. Um, but I knew that that was not what I needed. Um, I knew that what I needed I wasn't actually going to get. But what I needed was the community of people who loved her to come together outdoors around a sacred fire to wail to cry, to move our bodies, to wail, to express our sadness, to, to let that energy move through our bodies um, in a way that we just, we typically don't ever have the opportunity to do. And so that was the seed for me of of the wailing circle that is coming into being at Braided Root Waters Healing Sanctuary. So fast forward a little bit, I had stayed in Florida until close to the end of June and um, to be with my dad and my siblings for a while um, as support. And um, then I came back to New York State and my ex-husband and my two boys and I were driving in a car. Um, I think we were going to or coming from um, a soccer game, most likely. And I had brought um, with me um, this tarot guidebook, Mother Peace Tarot Guidebook by Karen Vogel. I had taken up tarot also as part of the ministerial training and the mother piece deck had been gifted to me by a friend. So I was reading um, the beginning of this guidebook under the section goddess history. There's just one short paragraph um, that I'm going to read to you. By the Renaissance, Christianity had dominated Europe as both a political and religious power. Women who were often the healers and spiritual leaders in their communities were the primary targets during Inquisition, in which as many as nine million people died. Those who threatened church authority or knew about ritual and healing went underground or were killed and their land seized. And just that, in that moment, and I guess on the heels of my mom's death, um, such a wave of sadness washed through me that I really, really needed to sob and wail. And I didn't let myself. I was in a car with three men 
on my way to or from a sporting event and I just couldn't and didn't let myself let that energy move through me in that moment. And this wasn't new information to me by any means. It was just um, a catalyst of emotion in that moment. Um, But in that moment when I held that emotion in, the wailing circle formed in my mind in this fully formed vision is what I think of it as. I just really saw my vision of a large group of people, a community of people coming together around a sacred fire, um, each very much in their own process of emoting, of crying, of shouting, of moving their bodies, of um, beating their fists on the ground, or crouching on the ground, or um, moving, swaying, humming, singing, you know, any and all uh, that you can imagine happening in this cathartic group ritual. Um, And I knew in that moment that I needed, my soul needed me to make that happen. Um, And I didn't even know that wailing circles or wailing rituals um, were a thing. I hadn't ever come across that or looked it up online or, or anything. Um, It was just something that I felt really strongly in my own bones as a need um, that I wanted to fill. And so I, I set about to, in whatever ways, try to make that happen. Um, Initially with um, three, well, myself and two other women from the Despair and Discovery Circle, which had been happening since 2019. Um, There were three of us who I felt the commitment to that circle and our our own friendship was strong enough for me to request that they try having a Wailing Circle experience with me. And so we did. And it was, it was good, it was cleansing, it was, with just three people, it couldn't be, you know, that large community fully formed vision that I had in mind, but it was sort of the first step um, that let me feel like I was at least um, taking action. Um, I was at least moving forward with this idea and this need that I had. And, um... And at some point, Vulture came into my life really strongly as a spirit guide for, specifically for, this whaling circle. And um, I haven't gone and looked up the journey or journeys that that is from, um, what I'm wanting to share is the the vulture medicine that is relevant here and um, and also that 
in this period when the wailing circle is really sort of gestating within me, I found a freshly hit, um, dead but intact, beautifully intact um, body of a vulture. And I had already been in practice of um, stopping and collecting dead animals when I find them and they're in con good condition and their medicines. Um, and I work with their medicines. And this vulture was truly a gift um, from spirit. I took it home. I um, removed the parts that I was going to keep the tail, the wings, um, parts of the, of the scalp. And I took some other feathers and the feet and I took the rest out into the wetland on the land um, with the idea that I would allow scavengers, probably vultures among them, to um, deal with the carcass and that I would come back a little bit later to collect whatever bones I could still find. And so the only bones that I found when I did go back were um, the two leg bones, surprisingly. Um, everything else was gone from where I had put it and I couldn't find it anywhere in the vicinity. So the vulture medicine that is most connected to the wailing circle is gathering together in a circle to uncover the truth and renew life by picking the flesh from the bones. So that's what vultures do when they gather around a carcass. They are picking the flesh from the bones, literally, and they're renewing life in doing that. And vultures have a really bad rap because that's what they do. Um, they tend to be looked down upon or thought disgusting, um, despite the fact that they do really, really important work. Can you imagine what this world would be like without the decomposers, without those beings who turn um, what was once living flesh into, back into soil, right? Um, so their work is very important, even though it is kind of defiled or vilified. And then another aspect of their medicine, which is really important to me, is being misunderstood and still doing your work proudly, head held high. And that piece of their medicine speaks directly to that fear of the witch hunt that brought me at the beginning of this podcast, right, to meeting that ancestor, Windhorse Woman. So this vulture medicine, being misunderstood and still doing your work proudly, head held high, as part of the trajectory of working with that fear. And the wailing circle is very much that. It's exactly this. I'm going to state it again. Gathering together in a circle 
to uncover the truth and renew life by picking the flesh from the bones. So we come together in a circle to get to the truth of the matter, to get to the truth of our emotions, to get to the truth of what has wounded us, to get to the truth of what is trapped physically in our bodies because we haven't moved it out of our bodies because we don't have rituals to move trauma and death and grief and despair out of ourselves. That's what the Wailing Circle is all about. Um, So earlier this year in 2023, there was a second sort of trial Wailing Circle um, held with a friend of mine who's a healer and um, held in the Medicine Wheel at Braided Root Waters Healing Sanctuary and with um, the vulture medicine very present, the vulture parts held the circle, held um, the energetic circle in the Medicine Wheel, the head, um, the skin of the head and the feathers of the neck were put to the north. The two wings held the east and the west and the tail held the south of the circle. And those vulture parts were um, tools that people could choose to hold, touch, move around the circle with as part of their process. Um, And I know for me that was an important part of my process. It was an important part of the process of the co-facilitator. And um, I believe there were four other people. It was a small circle um, because we really didn't know as facilitators how it would go, where it would take people, where it would take us, um, and how really best to hold that space, but we wanted to dive in and try holding that space. Um, and it was really an amazing experience. So when I was preparing for this podcast, it actually hadn't occurred to me to share my experiences during that whaling circle. Um, but now that I know how to pause the recording, I paused and went and found my notes and, um, had forgotten, but remembered, realized that that whaling circle was actually held on the anniversary of my mom's stroke on May 13th of 2022, which was very meaningful to me. And, um, and there were five people in attendance and the two co-facilitators. And when we were sitting in the medicine wheel um, with most of us there, but still waiting for two people to show up, um, we were just kind of sitting in, you know, some silence, waiting. And um, I was sitting in the north with my back to the north. Um, and a sound, a buzzing sound started happening. And then it got louder and louder such that I, it really grabbed my attention. And I turned around and I saw a huge swarm 
of honeybees. And my initial thought was, oh shit, what if they swarm us? What if someone here is deathly allergic to bee stings? You know, I went to that fear space, but I immediately shifted out of it as well um, into just trusting that that wouldn't happen and also just sitting with the gorgeous um, amazement and serendipity of having this swarm of bees flying towards us. I said something once I realized what was happening and other people um, who hadn't noticed it yet were shocked as well and we just watched this swarm of bees. They didn't come straight into the center of the circle where we were. They came just into the northeast um, edge of the medicine wheel. They sort of flew, skirted the east, and they left the medicine wheel in the southeast and continued south. And um, wow, it was meaningful, I think, to everyone there. One person said, you can't make that up. <laughs> um, and for me personally, uh, the very first spirit guide that I um, connected with myself in my own journey work was Honeybee. And Honeybee's medicine for me is that I manifest sweetness and nourishment for myself and others in community. So for me, the message of that swarm was that this wailing circle is me doing that. It is me manifesting sweetness, sweetness and nourishment for myself and others in community. It felt very profound um, and important to have had that happen. Um, the swarm brought tears to the eyes of the co-facilitator and um, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly the, the meaning and the movement that came into the lives of the other people that were sitting in the circle when that happened. Um, so I want to share with you what I experienced in this whaling circle because I was very much a participant as well as a facilitator. And um, I went very deeply into my own experience and I had told people that if they needed, if they needed support, they could come to me. Like even if I was doubled over wailing, um, if they needed support, they could come to me and I could come out of that state and be support. Um, nobody needed that support in the circle this time. Um, so what I experienced in the wailing circle is when it began, um, I went to the north. I, I knew for me it would be important to touch and hold the vulture parts. I went and I picked up the, the skin of the head and the feathers of the neck, that, that piece that was in the north. And um, I held it like a baby and cradled it and it was like I was holding myself as a baby and giving myself that holding and love that I, I know I didn't get enough of because of um, the places emotionally that my parents were in. 
at that time. And I cradled that baby, that young self, and then I held that baby up, presented that baby to the directions and to the spirits of the directions in a way that I imagine people would have done a long time ago. We would have had rituals of presenting a newborn to the, to the new day, to the, um, to the spirits, to the goddesses and gods that we believed in. Um, and I know that that didn't happen for me, so I was doing it for myself in this wailing circle and, and grieving the lack of that kind of, of ritual in my own life. Um, and then later on in the ritual, I found myself in the South and I received a very clear message that although I had not been raped in this life, I have been in many past lives during this period of the patriarchy ruling the earth. And also, not just as a female, but also as a male. Um, and when I was in the south of the medicine wheel, I, um, I was holding two stones. Or no, I wasn't holding them yet. I had this experience where I... Essentially, it felt like reliving the rape of a past life, but of course it was a it was a milder experience than the actual would have been but i um I was female in this life that I was re-experiencing, and I found myself on my hands and knees. I believe this is when I picked up two stones, small stones that were on the ground. So I was holding one in each hand during this experience. And then I was suddenly flat on my back, re-experiencing the rape and a piercing scream sounds came out of me as it was happening. And then I was in that, I imagine, um, what some people experience, the state of numbness afterwards. And, um, and I, I wanted to cry. I did cry, but I wanted to cry and sob and wail for all the women of all time that had been raped. Um, but I received a very strong message from spirit that no, that is not what I needed to do in this moment. It, it wasn't for me to move the energy of all of that. Um, and of course, no single person can, can hold and move the energy of all of that through their one body. It was for me in this moment to just move the grief and the energy of that one experience from that past life through and out of my this life body. Um, it, was, it was really interesting how clear and strong that message was. 
And I really want to stress that that reliving of that experience was not re-traumatizing. It was healing. It was moving that energy imprint that still exists in this current female body, in this patriarchal time, the imprint of that past life rape was moved through and out of me and healed. Um, and I was, I was not put into a place of trauma and re-traumatizing and um, negative experience. It was really cleansing and clearing and good. And, um, and I realized I sort of jumped ahead, I guess, because I was eager to explain this part of the experience. Um, the very first part of my experience in the Wailing Circle was a birthing and it was with that the head of the vulture and um, but it started off I was standing up I was holding the the vulture head and I began to experience sound and motion that felt like giving birth and I squatted and I I felt the energy of the giving of birth and then you know what what I was sort of using as the stand-in for what I birthed was the vulture head. And what I did with that was sort of um, think of it as a part of myself and give it that love and present it in ritual, as I explained. But I knew that I had birthed something important into my life. I just wasn't sure what... It was the understanding of what it actually was came a little bit later a couple days later so on the morning of May 15th when I was sitting at my altar I was actually holding I kept the two stones that I held during that rape experience um, I was holding them and I got a very strong message that I needed to shift course. I had that spring been putting a lot of my energy and time into preparing um, a 12 by 24 Amish shed to be a, a cabin to rent, like through Airbnb and hip camp, to generate some income um, to help support this land and help support my family. And I realized in that moment that pausing that process would not be done out of fear. It would actually be done out of gentleness for myself and for this time of healing and growth and transformation that I was in, I am in, that it would be done out of a recognition that I'm not superhuman and that the time and energy that I was putting into this cabin and still needed to put into that cabin and would continue to put into it as it was being rented out to people was going to leave me with little to no energy for putting myself into my healing work, putting myself out into the world um, as a healer, which is what I really, really needed to be doing. Um, it actually allowed me to realize that my focus on the rental of this cabin was coming from a place of fear. 
and um, not renting the cabin would mean that the cabin would be available for my family to use and other friends to use to connect with the land. And actually, um, the cabin became the place where my new partner Amanda and I were able to spend time together over the over the summer um, because I still live with my ex-husband and um, my boys hadn't met her yet. She and I were just getting to know each other. So it was actually um, just amazing that I had changed course in that way and that that made it possible to have use of that space for um, the growing of this new love relationship. And um, I'll actually just slip in here for two seconds that my boys met Amanda um, yesterday and the day before uh, for the first time. And it went really well. And my ex met her also, and that went well. And for that, I'm so grateful. That was kind of a big... Um, a big moment that um, I felt good about, but the potential for being really nervous or for it to not go well certainly was there. Um, so anyway, back to the thread that I'm on, which was the shift away from, from renting the cabin. And I checked with my pendulum to make sure it was the right decision. I got a strong yes. And um, that was a Monday morning. I went off to clean the house that I clean every other Monday. And having just made that decision while I was cleaning for four hours, I was feeling really expansive. I was really visioning, seeing the growth of my healing practice, Moonwise Earthwalks healing, and to you know abundantly support me, support my kids, support Braided Root Waters, support the manifestation of the healing sanctuary. And it was during that four hours when I was kind of on this high that the idea for this podcast came through. And after I cleaned the house that day, I went immediately from there to Tagannock Creek and sat down by the flowing water and recorded the first 20 or so minute episode of this podcast. And then I realized that what I had birthed in the Wailing Circle was the podcast. Um, and that that was somehow connected with Erjebet Eilat, the, the soul part that I received back from the moment of my birth. Um, and that soul part, Erjebet Eilat, and that Wailing Circle experience and that birthing that happened in the Wailing Circle is all a part of my being able to live from my place of power and voice instead of my place of fear. And it's all a part of my being able to offer to the world things like this Wailing Circle. So the... The next Wailing Circle is this Saturday, October 14th. It's co-facilitated by myself and Anna DePilla. 
and um, it will be in whatever form, and I'm not sure how frequently, but it is going to be an ongoing offering at Braided Root Waters Healing Sanctuary. Um, I'm just going to read you our little blurb. Learn to release grief and despair through ritual, sound, and body movement. Here's a definition of to wail. One, to utter a prolonged, inarticulate, mournful cry, as in grief or suffering, to wail with pain. Two, to make mournful sounds as music or the wind. Three, to lament or mourn bitterly. The Wailing Circle is about reclaiming the largely lost practices of ritual lamentation that supported our ancestors for millennia before modern times. It is a practice of bone-deep experiencing, feeling, and processing grief and despair in community and in connection with the earth. I hope to someday meet some of you at a Wailing Circle at Braided Root Waters Healing Sanctuary. I have absolute trust in the strength of my story. I have absolute trust in the strength of my voice. My name is Betty Rooted Lionheart, and this podcast is called Dear Medicine, a shamanic healer's journey of self-love for earth healing. be fed by our gratitude. May the spirits be fed by my courage to share my story. <laughs>